Welcome to Saving the Game. This is episode 81, Fear, recorded Thursday, March 10th of 2016, with your hosts, Grant and Peter. Welcome to Saving the Game, I'm Grant. And I'm Peter. And I'm Beat. But I have a baby, so... I was gonna say... Healthy, happy, new baby boy, right? That's right. Number two is uh, here, and everything's working great. Mom is okay, too? Mom's doing great. No issues there, really. She's recovering very, very well. Uh, it's really astonishing how much less stressful this baby has been. <laughs> and not just because we're not doing heart surgery. It's, you know a lot more with number two. Sure, yeah, you've done it before. Yeah, and so it's just like, oh yeah, this is no, th- this is a thing. Whatever, it's fine. Like, oh, hey, he spat up. Well, we'll clean it up. Ah, diapers. Eh, I remember those. You know, it's just, it's whatever. Like, we, we took him home. Chrissy actually got out of the hospital two days after surgery instead of the usual three. They just said, nope, you're healing up really well. You can go home today. So that was exciting. Fantastic. Yeah. So we got an extra day at home that we didn't expect. And, um, you know, we kind of get home and settle in, and we're like, um, the house is quiet, because our three-and-a-half-year-old's over at grandparents. We've got a baby. Do you feel stressed? No. Do you feel worried? No. Should we be worried that we don't feel stressed or worried about this? I mean, we've got a baby. No, I I think. I think we're doing parenting wrong. So... (laughs) You know, no, I think you're doing it right and have just realized that. Yeah, it's just, it really is astonishingly different. So, there you go. But I'm back. Peter, however, is still editing because I've been up. <laughs> and really you've you've been awake for, what, about 600 days continuously, it probably feels like at this point? It certainly feels like it. Plus, I'm still sick. Chrissy, oh man, poor thing. She had to, you know, go through the C-section and have baby and everything with the same cold that I've been fighting and ugh. well and of course hospitals are the worst place to be when you've got bugs cuz they'll just they'll yeah. find friends and no oh, they we must have brought something home cuz Aaron's sick as well so uh I'm yeah. sorry man oh it's it's real bad trying to feed a baby who can't breathe through his nose uh I can only imagine <laughs> it's it's real bad <laughs> Anyway, enough baby bragging. Uh, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. The one little downer in my life is um, my boss at work, who I've had for the last couple of years and who has been absolutely phenomenal to work for, is moving on. Uh, he got a rather aggressively headhunted by another company, so we're going to get a new store manager at some point here in the near future, so it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Yeah, well, hopefully he'll end up you know, doing well for himself and your new guy or girl will be awesome. Here's hoping. So it's quite the transition time. We got a huge going away bash planned for him uh, tomorrow, which reminds me, I need to stop and pick up paper plates and plastic silverware after we finish this. So there you go. All right. So I've got two things I want to talk about before we get into our main topic. And I want to keep these short because we've got a rather large main topic here today. But um, the first thing is kind of a bit of news that doesn't necessarily impact most of our listeners, but it's something they should keep an eye on because I think it's good overall for our show and for listeners of RPG podcasts in general. Gamerati, run by Ed Healy, is taking over RPGpodcasts.com and RPGbloggers.com. Now, we don't do much with RPG bloggers, but... RPGpodcast.com is a site that we have been syndicated on really since Saving the Game started. Syndicated maybe isn't the right word. It's not the same relationship that we have with Inroads Ministries. But it's, hey, here's another copy of our feed. Here's another place where we are listed. Uh, You know, it's kind of a network that we're on. Yeah, if you're into RPG podcasts, we are one of the ones that you can find there. Right. And really, for a while there, RPGpodcast.com was the definitive site to go to for that. It has fallen off mostly because the guy who created it 
just it's basically been abandoned. So Ed Healy acquired those two sites. I don't know the details of that acquisition, obviously, but he is working on, you know, under the Gamerati banner, and Gamerati, for those who don't know, is basically a news and advertising network for RPGs and games in general. They do they handle a lot of podcast advertisements in the RPG industry, but also web advertisements, and they do a really good job of connecting people who want to give news out to people who want to consume news. We get uh, emails from Gamerati every once in a while about, hey, there's this new project out there. You know, they're doing a Kickstarter, this or that. If any of you want to talk to them, here's the contact information. That's yeah. just a service that Ed and his Gamerati folks provide. Yeah. And that's very great. cool. Because if we were the kind of people who were working on the, hey, let's tell people about Kickstarters, let's do product release stuff and get people involved with that project on and kind of a more current events kind of show, that's a perfect service for that. Yeah. Now, we're not those people, but... But we know those people. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, there's not a lot happening with it immediately, but they're going to basically tear down and rebuild those sites completely. So, keep an eye on RPGpodcast.com, RPGbloggers.com. They're going to change for the better. We had Ed Healy on a long time ago, episode 43... Uh, to talk about unity versus uniformity. It was a really interesting episode, uh, and Ed goes into more detail about what Gamerati does as well on that episode. But do listen to that. We'll link it in the show notes, and check that out if you don't remember that, and take a look at those sites and kind of keep it in the back of your mind. I'm sure that I'll mention it again when those relaunch. I'm kind of in a group that's at least communicating with Gamerati about those sites and kind of what's going on and that sort of thing. Because even though RPGpodcast.com is sort of abandoned, we still get traffic from it. So when it relaunches, it's, it's going to be good for us. So I'm, I'm definitely invested in that. And hopefully that'll also become something for the charity drive that we didn't do last year. So, you know, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. So that's one bit of news. We should also plug TavernCon and Electric City Comic Con again real quick. Yeah, let me hit this so you can save your voice a little bit because you're feeling a little under the weather. TavernCon is Inroad Ministries' annual fundraiser. Uh, they do kind of like a board gaming convention at the Stonecrest Church in Warren, New Jersey. Uh, this is going to be Saturday, June 18th from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. I don't think Mike has set up an official page for this yet, but when he does, uh, we will have links to it. Uh, this would be Mike Perna of Inroads Ministries, obviously. And then you're going to be involved with Electric City Comic Con down in Anderson, South Carolina by you. Right. And I am going to let you take this one. Yeah, that's one. August 6th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. It's Anderson Main Library in Anderson, South Carolina. No entry fee. It's a public con. It's put on by the library. So it's very kid-friendly. It's... G-rated or PG at the very worst because it is a, you know, it's put on by a public library. Politically, they're not able to get away with anything, even PG-13. It's got to be very kid-friendly. But the nice thing about that is there's stuff there for kids as young as three. Uh, so it is super family-oriented, which is awesome. Yeah, your daughter had stuff to do with the oh, last yeah, one, didn't she? Oh, yeah, she had a blast. She wasn't even three then, and or she w was just three, like, the week before. 3.01. Yeah, huh? like, real early, and she'd had a great time. And it's local-ish, kind of kind of regional, but uh, a lot of cosplay, writing panels, board gaming, vendor and artist hall. It'll be good. I'm not going to keep plugging it every episode, because August is a ways away, but I'm going to mention it again here, because I will be attending and probably volunteering, uh, so it's a good chance to catch up with me if you're in the area. Which is very worth doing. And then you've been playing Stardew Valley. Yeah, I gotta talk so, about this. This is great. It's talking yeah, about tell me about this. Stuff. So, Stardew Valley is kind of an amazing little thing. It's a $15 game on Steam. Little indie game. I, It might be on consoles as well, or looking at a console port, but I know it, it, it's primarily a Steam game. And 
You can find it at stardewvalley.net, as well as, of course, on Steam. If you've ever played or are familiar with Harvest Moon, like the original Super Nintendo Harvest Moon, this is pretty close to an indie reimagining of Harvest Moon. Okay, so let me let me stop you there and tell you that I am not familiar with right. it. So can you describe it to me in a succinct fashion? You've been given a farm. The farm is in terrible disrepair and is basically just fields that are cluttered and messy and need to be cleared. Okay. That farm is next to a small, sleepy village. Okay, cool. We good so far? Okay. Yeah. There's other stuff to explore around the village. There's interesting things happening around the village. And so your every day is literally wake up, plant and tend to crops that you have created, right? Because it's a sandbox, at least as far as the farm goes. It was Harvest Moon was really, I think, the first sandboxy Super Nintendo game, as far as I know, uh, which is pretty cool. Okay. Because the farm is literally, yeah, just lay it out however you want. Grow whatever you want. Raise whatever you want. And then sell whatever you want. And you just, you take whatever you're going to sell that day and drop it in a bin and it gets sold at the end of the day. It's super easy going. And the other cool thing about it, again, in that Harvest Moon spirit, is that the village is populated by interesting characters, all of whom you can build relationships with. Give them gifts. You, They have birthdays. If you remember their birthday and give them a gift then, they like you more. Talking to them regularly makes them your friend. You can... Pick one of them to really start getting romantically interested in and get married to. Not everyone is available for marriage, but many of them are. And, you know, there are a few hidden NPCs scattered around uh, that you can do the same thing to. And as you discover them, they kind of get added to your little chart of people you have a relationship with. So there's this living, breathing village that you're connected to. And you only have enough energy to do kind of enough farming through the day to get something done and you can eat food to get your energy back so theoretically you could spend some of your produce on doing more farming and but you can also do it on fishing mining foraging exploring all sorts of things because there's all sorts of stuff to do and a huge collection thing going on as well but really it ends up being farm kind of do your daily chores, and then go into town and talk to people and interact with them and maybe do other stuff. And, oh, hey, let me chop down some more trees today. And, uh, oh, hey, that's enough wood. Let me go build a chicken coop. And it's this big, complicated... It's a simulation, but it's incredibly casual. There's no stress. It's just, it sounds kind of relaxing and charming, actually. It's very I charming. notice you don't mention any kind of combat or conflict, really, in this game. There's a corporation that's kind of trying to muscle in. They have a, like, Joja Mart is set up that, you know, basically tries to undercut the local village shops and that sort of thing. They're kind of set up as the bad guys, but you're not fighting them. They just exist, you know? They're part of the story. And when you are exploring in the mines, and maybe some other places that I don't know about yet, there are enemies to fight, but... Your character doesn't die if they run out of health. They just go home and heal and, like, get rescued, I think, by a Joja Bart Mart medical team that charges you a little bit of money. Huh. You know, <laughs> it's basically what it is. So even the villains will save you from getting eaten by monsters. Yeah, they, they save you and then bill you. How <laughs> very shadow run. <laughs> it kind of is. There are mysteries. There's weird magic happening. You know, there's, like this kind of crazy complicated world I've only barely scratched the surface of what's going on but it's really neat and I've really enjoyed it and I, I said that this was kind of related to Electric City Comic Con in the the sense of being very kid friendly I've been playing this with my daughter she's three and a half she loves this game like she wakes me up in the morning saying daddy let's go farm and so Aww. I sit her on my lap and we play Stardew Valley for like an hour or hour and a half uh, before I have to get ready for work and she starts to get ready for school and all, you know, all that sort of thing. And yes, this keeps her kind of out of my wife's hair and away from, you know, waking up the baby and that sort of thing, which is great. And, you know, Chrissy needs as much sleep as she can get. But the game is 
simple enough that Rachel can look at it and say, hey, let's do this. You know, like I'll say, okay, Rachel, we got to do our chores this morning and we'll go through and do our chores, you know, feed the chickens, you know, pet the chickens, make sure that, you know, they're happy, go uh, harvest all of our crops, water everything, and then we'll look at it and say, all right, well, what do we need to do today? Do we need to go fishing? Do we need to chop down some more trees? Do we need to cut some grass for hay? You know, do we need to go mining? And my daughter can look at it and say, okay, we need, we should do this today. Or let's go, or she'll just say, let's go talk to people today. And I'll, you know, we'll go and I'll, she's not quite reading yet, but I will tell her what each thing is saying, you know, and she loves it. It's great, but it's complex enough that after we're done recording, I'm going to go play it some more. Very cool. It's really good, and I can't help but recommend it. Well, that certainly sounds cool. I actually have added this to my Steam wish list already based on a previous much shorter conversation I had with you, but now I'm definitely going to be watching for this one to go on yeah. sale. Oh, and I should add, the soundtrack is fantastic. It's this kind of country-western, very casual, lots of banjo kind of music, and it's just it's super relaxing. And apparently very oh, popular. Oh, it's perfect for a farm yeah. game, too. And apparently it's really popular because they're doing a vinyl run of the soundtrack. <laughs> wow, you don't hear about that very often. No, so uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. And the soundtrack's only like five bucks if you get it in the bundled with the game, so well worth it. I will have to keep that in mind. Yeah. Good. Hey, listen, we don't generally recommend background music, but this is good background music for that particular theme. There you go. Yeah, I suppose if you're going to be going to like a peaceful country setting or something, yeah, that'd be perfect for setting the yeah, mood. Yeah, I mean, it's designed as background music. It is not obtrusive. It's perfect. Well, and I'm guessing from what you've told me, it's, you know, like if you want to kind of create the feeling of you can feel safe here, this is the sort of thing you'd play in the background. Yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, like even the, the mines you go explore in and fight in, the music's pretty calm. You know, there's no driving beat at any point. Well, and speaking of feeling safe or not, we should probably get into our scripture and then our topic, yeah, huh? Yeah, we should. Which bit of scripture do you want to start with? Uh, tell you what, since, um... I'll take Matthew, you take Proverbs. I was actually going to suggest the reverse, but if you're feeling up to it, I'll let you have it. I got this. All right, so the first passage we've got is Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And next we have Matthew 10, verse 26 to 31. So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the rooftops. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. The next one we've got is John 16.33. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And last we have Luke chapter 2, verse 10. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. So our topic tonight is fear. And this is kind of continuing last episode's So I Was Thinking theme here. This is something that's been bothering me for a while. You know, sleep-deprived baby-having Grant comes up with good topic ideas. Apparently so. We sh I should sleep less? No, I can't do that. Anyway. No, that would make you miserable. <laughs> yeah, talking about fear, uh, I'm going to start having, you know, delirium. We'll just take advantage of it while it exists. Oh, there we go. Uh, if you're sleep-deprived listeners, send us topic ideas. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I've been bothered for a while about fear in role-playing games. And there's kind of a couple parts of this, because I don't think any part of the gaming table handles it well. Generally speaking, there is no reward whatsoever for role-playing fear in a game. And I don't mean like a mechanical reward necessarily, although that could be part of it. There's no incentive for a player to have a character who is afraid, even in a role-playing heavy game. 
Yeah, unless you're really gaming with a bunch of... They would have to be almost actual thespian level, like, story people. It's really disincentivized. It's seen as such a hassle and such a problem, and that's... It is. Well, that's kind of too bad for reasons we're going to spend the rest of the episode getting right. into. And I think it's because most games assume that fear is you are shut down. So fear is either a penalty, often harsh, to all of your actions the next turn or whatever, so that when you do act, your character is unlikely to be successful, so you end up trying something, wasting your turn, and just feeling ineffective and frustrated and shut down. Yeah, you don't feel scared, but you sure feel annoyed. Right. Or it's a hard stop. Your character is afraid. You're frozen with fear. You cannot act. You cannot participate. Sit there and don't get your turn in the spotlight, which is just as annoying or worse. Yeah, because apparently in the eyes of a lot of game designers, people have two responses to fear. Total panic or total catatonia. Well, yeah. Or it's you're just, <laughs> you know, you're shaky with fear, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. I'm being a little bit hyperbolic. Well, a but... little, but not much, because the fight or flight response that we're all kind of familiar with, even as simplified as that is, isn't really modeled well in most games. And, you know, there's usually just a single fear check with static rules regardless of the situation, which honestly suggests that the game designer didn't put a lot of thought into fear, you know, because there's different responses for different scenarios. And so what happens as a result of this is that players do everything they can to make sure that they are not affected by this fear, at least not mechanically. They might say, oh yeah, he's totally afraid, but they don't want to actually say, yeah, my character is afraid and acts like this because that basically gives up agency at that moment. In most games especially in cases when fear has come up, you know, that you're in some scary situation, my character is afraid and can't act means we can't move the plot forward, or I don't get to have a, a hand in moving the plot forward. Because in most cases, not all, but most, success equates to the plot moving along, right? I mean, if you're in a D&D &D fight, the fight's not over till you win, in most cases. You know, we talked about surrender an episode or two ago, but it's the same kind of problem, right? It, we have to keep... You have... The only way through is forward. Yeah. And I think the GM also does the same thing, because GMs are less likely to succumb to this, but many GMs balk at being shut down by some sort of fear effect just as much as players do. Yeah, the dragon wouldn't be afraid of you. I don't care what spells you right. cast. Uh, oh, no, he's a, actually, right. you know, oh, no, he's immune to fear. You know, yeah. because uh, this is the this is the combat encounter for the night. Yeah. <laughs> now, in some cases, that makes total sense. If you're fighting a golem or some animated skeletons or something, those things aren't going to have any kind of emotions at all. They're basically just magical machines. Of course, but I'm talking about cases where fear makes sense and is desirable in role playing context yeah right? i mean okay we we had a whole episode about surrendering the best way to get some intelligent enemies like bandits or orcs to surrender is to scare the living daylights out of them in combat to the point where they think they can't right. win if you can't do that that takes a whole variety of different story options off the table right away Exactly. i think there's also something just viscerally unpleasant about role-playing fear we don't like to be afraid yeah. even by proxy and we don't like to appear afraid to others, even by proxy. We can sit here at the table and say, oh, no, it's totally my character who's afraid. But I think deep down, when we're acting out that fear, it feels bad, right? We don't like showing that fear. It's a very primal response. Well, and you actually ran across a thread yeah, on RPGNet about how deep this goes. Um, I, I was doing some basic research on this, and... You know, somebody was asking on RPGNet, hey, uh, what's your favorite fear mechanic? Have you found one that works? Because they were kind of running into these same problems. And one of the first responses was, I have no fear, so I don't know what fear feels like. But these are how I hear fear works. Really? 
Really? You're how old and you've managed to get this far without ever being afraid of anything? There are people who, due to how their brain is constructed, are missing certain emotions or missing certain responses. You know, there's a... Or they're very dulled or... Yeah. These are incredibly rare. So it is possible that, that somebody cannot have this response. Like, physiologically, it's impossible for them. The odds are really small. Well, and honestly, I wouldn't even want that. That would be crippling in a lot of ways. In the same way that somebody who can't feel pain literally has to check their body regularly to make sure they haven't been cut and aren't bleeding out. That was actually one of the most fascinating house episodes I ever saw. It was just how incredibly frustrating and dangerous it is to not feel pain. In the same way, not being able to feel fear is just devastating. Yeah, it would make you just, like, suicidally impulsive, I would think. Well, or it just, it drastically screws up your responses to things. Anyway, we're getting a little bit in in the weeds on that, but at the same time, even when we're talking about it on a forum saying, what is your favorite fear mechanic, we have this, no, no, I'm not afraid, I'm never afraid response showing up. And the funny thing is, one of my favorite genres of role-playing games is horror. Yeah. And I know I'm not alone in that because horror RPGs sell really well. We love horror stories in games. Yeah, I mean, there's the whole White Wolf line of games, which are all based around horror uh, tropes. Well, I would you say know. White Wolf is gothic tropes. Well, okay, but, you know, but they market horror themselves is as a horror. Part, well, horror for... is part of the gothic oeuvre. And... Yeah. All right, to peg another podcast really quickly... The um, the folks over at Gameable Disney had a really interesting conversation about what exactly Gothic is in their Corpse Bride episode. Yes. If that distinction interests you at all, go listen to that. They describe it better than we can here. Yes, absolutely. Also, they said some very nice words about me having a kid in the second part of that. So Because they are wonderful good people. people. Anyway, um, you know, if you want to hear about other horror stuff, Ken and Robin talk about stuff, which we recommend all the time. Those two guys write horror stories, you know, especially Kenneth Height. And those games sell very well for a reason. We like that. But I think we kind of like being afraid together and we like the table tension because we really like playing competent characters in scary situations. Like, oh, this this is real bad. Oh, that's horrible. Oh, I'm going crazy. But you never get, oh, yeah, my guy is just shut down. He's He's rocking in the corner, crying. It's it's real bad. And you certainly never get people role-playing out that fear, unless it's, yeah, he um, he screams and yells and does exactly what he was going to do anyway, but we're going to pretend that it's the, um, the fight-or-flight response, and he's just fighting. And I mean, some of that is, like, not everybody who sits down to a role-playing table is a clinical psychologist. Well, sure. So we're working with a limited palette as as role players, certainly. But I I think in in some ways this comes from a little bit of a fear of embarrassment or humiliation. <laughs> yeah, there's fear around the table about looking scared. Yeah, at I the agree. Table. That's that's kind of um, what I'm trying to say. Is you, we you don't, don't want to look. You don't want like your that. character to do something really embarrassing when they're scared, right? You don't want them to experience incontinence or to you know throw up or to just like you said sit in a corner in the fetal position and rock and cry. None of that seems very cool or heroic. And sometimes at less mature tables, people will mock you out of game for that kind sure, of thing. Because the separation between character and player is not present. Right. And this is very visceral. So in the player's mind, yeah, sure. It's the character doing it, but it's also kind of me. And yeah. yeah, that's not the most comfortable thing. It's ever. Not. And as Christians, I think it's really important to have fear on the gaming table as an option, okay? Because fear lets us put faith on the table and hope on the table and courage on the table and bring those into focus as a counterpoint to that fear. The problem is... Absolutely. I don't think we're collectively very good at actually role-playing fear. So, how do we do it? That's my question. How do we... Get over that and, you know, say, hey, it's okay. It's okay to be afraid at this table. And I think there's a couple things we have to understand for that. First, what kind of fear are we talking about, right? Yeah. 
terror. Basically, here are scary things. Something scary has just happened. Something scary has appeared. This is pretty common. This is what we're talking about in, in Matthew, right? Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, right? A velociraptor right. is scary. Well, okay, sorry. A Jurassic Park velociraptor is scary. A Tyrannosaurus Rex is scary. Actual velociraptors are adorable. Utah raptors <laughs> are scary, you know. Dionychuses are very right. scary. Uh, dragons are scary. But these are things that will just kill you, right? Yep. Something supernatural that can do worse than that is probably even scarier, right? A fear response... And this is where you start getting into, like, evil fey creatures and stuff. Sure. You know, they'll uh, you know, bind you into bargains you can't get out of and control right. you and... You know, demons, temptation, things like that, right? Things that will condemn both body and soul. But these are things where I perceive this, I know it is dangerous, therefore I am afraid. Right? That's That's your kind of your classic terror. In most games, there's also supernatural effects where something about it skips perception and applies fear directly to you, right? Yeah. Might you, there is something like a psionic power that says, you are afraid because I am triggering your fear response in your brain. Yeah, this is like what happens when you get the gnome illusionist that just cast a fear spell. Right. There's nothing scary about that gnome. Right, but he has said, I have done a thing that makes you afraid, possibly through perception, poss you know, like, I've put some an image of something scary in front of you, or I am tricking your brain into generating a fear response. Right? Yep. A more supernatural enemy might have the same effect on your soul, or your character's soul, right? I'm not going to say it's all psychological certainly not if we're trying to bring a christian context into this right you know whatever it is rogue trader has a lot of things that are just oh yeah this thing is scary and also this thing is scary on a more visceral level because the soul is a real thing and it knows that this thing can wreck it it's dangerous now not everything scary is bad or evil yeah, I mean, traditionally in Scripture, one of the first things that an angel will say is, do not be right. afraid. Right, saw that in our, our passage from Luke, when the archangel appears and says, Mary, good news, here, you know, you're having your, the son, Jesus. The first thing he says is, do not be afraid. And he has to, because angels have that terrific effect. The way they're described in Scripture is they're this awesome, otherworldly clearly puissant thing that's going to trigger some fear response even if it's totally benevolent right. dread is a bit less common both as a game unfortunately it's much less common than it should be but also the kind of the, the sense of dread as a form of fear it's it's a lingering kind of pervasive sense that something is wrong something's about to happen we're not necessarily afraid of something rather it's kind of a fear of the unknown or a fear of something about to happen yeah it's in a lot of ways it's a proactive fear instead of a reactive one it's very anticipatory it, anticipatory that's a good word for it this usually does not have a mechanical effect unless the system is specifically designed around role-playing fear and fear mechanics like uh, don't rest your head or dread or something like that because it's usually not tied to something that causes fear, something you are afraid of. But keep it in mind, I think Dread is a good thing to roleplay because it doesn't have the frustrating mechanical effect. And so you can roleplay out that fear without getting shut down. Yeah, although it can be a little bit of a problem when it happens around the table, but we can probably get to that later. Yeah, I'm talking about at a, at a character level here. Yeah. At a player level, it can be a little sure. problematic. And then, of course, we have your jump scare, right? The the surprise, the startle. Usually that's something has jumped out. I don't know what it is. My brain hasn't processed it yet. Therefore, I am afraid of it. It might be, oh, that, that thing I have been dreading has appeared or something I think might be that thing I've been dreading has appeared. Being surprised, being startled is really only reflected mechanically in you know, being caught flat-footed, or that, you know, oh, you lost initiative, whatever it is. 
Yeah, you rolled for initiative and you didn't get the highest roll, so... Yeah, and that's, I think, another good case where, in a non-combat situation, it's a great opportunity to roleplay it, because it's, oh, hey, I'm afraid, but it's not really paralyzing, it's just, oh, oh, you, you scared me. Alright, yeah. what, what's going on, right? You get that that sense of tension, that moment of, look, my character is afraid, Here, you know, he he's got that vulnerable moment, but it doesn't actually frustrate anyone well and along the same lines i mean when this happens to you in the real world in a friendly setting like in in a good workplace or at home with family that you like and you know you accidentally startle somebody what usually happens afterwards both of you laugh about it right Right. so this can be a a thing that can actually relieve some tension sometimes where it's like you got you've got the dread you've got the dread you've got the dread then you hit the surprise it climaxes, you know, you laugh about it a little bit, you come back down, and you can start building up the tension again. Yeah. Tension is something that's kind of important, too, because tension comes from both the players and in- internally, and the collective sense of tension at the table, right? Yeah. We've talked about Dread some, you know, the, the Jenga RPG, right? It's really good... Just- just really quick for people who aren't familiar with Dread. Yeah. The mechanical systems in Dread, basically, when you try and do something, you've got a Jenga tower sitting in the middle of the table in front of you. And actions require you to pull out a certain number of pieces out of the Jenga tower and set them on top, depending on how difficult they are. If the tower falls, something awful happens to your character and they're written out of the story. It's a horror game. Yeah. There's more mechanics than that, but that's the central one that everybody is talking about when they talk about it. Eh, you can push the tower over intentionally. There's the the leading question character sheets. There's there's more in there than we can really cover in this episode, but anyway. The cool thing about Dread is that it is a collective system, right? Everybody's working off the same Jenga tower. So you're all feeling that tension rise and rise and rise together. And as that tower gets more precarious. You're right. As the tower gets more precarious. We all feel more and more tense. And then, of course, it collapses. You have that moment of catharsis. Ah, the thing we've been dreading has happened. And then we build it back. You know, okay, tension, 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 release. Tension, 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 release. That's how the game basically functions, and it works really well. Yeah, it's a mechanical version of what I was describing back when we were talking about surprise. Now, the thing is, I think that collective tension, we all love. We're, well, it's very focusing. It and it's the same thing you get in Call of Cthulhu, right? Or any other Lovecraftian sort of horror game. Oh, look, we're getting closer and closer to the monster. We're all losing sanity together. We're going to discover what's horrible and then all go crazy together, right? Oh, it's a it's a race to zero sanity, right? Yeah, it's the, the bonding effect of shared adversity in some ways. Exactly. But... When it's one character who is afraid and everyone else is fine, it's a lot more frustrating because it's that that sense of I am weak in front of everyone else. So I think it's individual fear that's a problem. The the collective fear, the exciting tension that we all love, that I don't think is as much a problem, right? It It's like watching a scary movie with friends as opposed to watching a scary movie by yourself, right? Okay. Or a movie that everyone else is laughing at and you're genuinely scared of the the sense of I'm afraid of this. I don't have support. I'm alone in this is really not comfortable versus, Oh yeah. 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 We're all, we're all totally scared, but we're all in it together and we're all laughing about it. You know, I laugh a lot in call of Cthulhu partly to relieve the tension, but also because we're all laughing about it together. So, yeah, and in that particular case, that laughter actually kind of feeds into the the narrative of people slowly losing their grip on sanity, too. Uh, yeah, so, to some degree. So enough complaining about the problem. How do we fix it? Well, we kind of touched on it earlier, and I would say that one of the a lot of the solutions that we have in mind here boil down to make it less mechanical and more about role-playing, which I know sort of seems like a dodge, but I think that really is the way that you want to go because fear is is a little different for everybody who experiences it. And it's a very internal thing, mm-hmm. right? So 
we've got some ideas. Um, one of one of the things that first came to my mind when we were sitting down and kind of putting this episode together is, if you've never played Darkest Dungeon, first of all, Mike Perna and I did a um, a special episode of. Uh, I don't think it was a actually under any of the umbrellas we just recorded a podcast episode about it that's out there i'll find it for the show notes but it's this game where you've got this group of heroes that goes down into this lovecraftian dungeon to try and clear it out and a huge part of the game is managing the level of stress that they have and when that stress tops out one of two things can happen most of the time you get your typical negative fear response they will um, become despondent or they will become abusive to their other party members like insulting them and you know that was a lousy swing in some way or um, they become really selfish and they start like hoarding healing effects and you know that sort of thing but some of the time instead they break positive and they kind of show just how much metal they actually have and what they really are truly made of and they become more heroic they kind of crest over the wave and ride it down the other side having that be an option at the table where most of the time if you get scared yeah something bad's going to happen and you're going to have some weird trait that you didn't have before to role play until you can kind of get out of the stressful situation but sometimes you will become a little extra awesome seems like a way of making those fury um, effects a little less awful to to just have in the game because it's like okay well you know maybe this time i'll you know i'll break courageous or stalwart instead of breaking a you know just down in the corner yeah now i think you've got to find some way to make sure your players don't do it all the time i would i would say keep the um the effect of breaking in a positive direction as a static number and don't make it so class abilities can affect it. You've always got a certain chance for this to go better than worse, but you can't character build around right. it. Or you have one chip you can trade in where, especially in a fear-driven scenario, where it, you know instead of reacting negatively to a fearful situation, you can trade it in once and get something out Be of awesome. it. Be yeah. awesome. Yeah. That might work. Yeah, if you, if you can tie it to like an in-game currency by all... That's a... That's a whole different thing, well, but not every game has that. I don't think work well for fear, except it in an extremely limited situation, because otherwise it's not scary because you can buy your way out of the fear. Mm, I can I can see that. Like fate I guess I was I was automatically well. filling in a small amount of the in game currency, but yeah, if it's like Savage Worlds and you've got Bennies flying back and forth all over the place, yeah, it would make it totally toothless. It would it would just be like um a slippery surface in a fight or something um and that brings up a problem i think a lot of systems just don't do fear very well right again a single catch-all rule for fear is almost always bad i think that's a point where house ruling is an kind of a it's low-hanging fruit right especially if fear checks are going to come up more than like once or twice in a campaign if you're going to be up against things that are supposed to inspire fear, give some thought into how you want to rework that and give the player some agency over what that fear reaction is. Even if it's always something that's going to frustrate, that could theoretically frustrate them. If they choose their fate or have something consistent in their character, that helps it helps them roleplay a lot because they have to make a choice and then act on that choice. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to be doing a campaign that centers around fear, you could even plan some of this out ahead of time. My character manifests fear in these X number of ways. Well, you know, they're 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 colored this way by his personality. Or I, unknown armies has a, a fear stimulus as one of your three reactions, right? One, th- yeah. And so. Um, when you are presented with that fear stimulus, you have a choice to either do the fight or flight thing. So it's you either fight it, just go crazy on it. You can't really control yourself very well. You're not going to like aim and shoot. It's I'm just going to hit the thing a lot. Or yeah, it's that berserk lizard run. brain kind of fight. Right. Or you run. 
right? You, tr- you do everything yeah. you can to get away. Now, that's very simplified. Catatonia is an option, kind of a, a paralysis of what do I do or just shutting down. I hope it doesn't notice me, I think is a perfectly valid fear response. Well, and I think the thing that's cool about Unknown Army, since you brought that up, is that 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 little like fear stimulus with the fight or flight response allows for a deceptively large number of responses like fighting against something that's made you scared because you can be scared of things like public speaking. So if you, you know, if you really cave into the, the fear response on public speaking, you can go up there and give like this angry rabble rousing feet and try and whip the crowd into the same level of fear you can, or you can walk off to a trash can backstage and puke in it because you're scared. Right. Yeah, and, and those are good. I think the other thing is, you know, no, I'm I'm going to fight it. Literally, whoever's trying to get me on stage, I'm just going to punch them because I don't, yeah. don't want to do it. No, you take that away. Yeah, or or the, the flight response can be you slip out the back and you don't deliver the speech. Right. So, and those are, those are great role-playing moments, obviously. Yeah, because those things can all have consequences that can last for a good long time and Spawn, I mean, you can spawn subplots right. off of that but stuff. But the important thing about that is that the player has chosen what the action is, right? I think yep. that's where a lot of these rule systems fall down. It's here is the mandatory effect on your character for my having given this monster a fear rating or, you know, a, a fear check. And so roll your saving throw. That's the only input you have on this. Well, I know in like third edition D&D, if you succumb to a fear effect, you basically just had to turn 180 degrees and sprint as fast as you could until it wore off. Right. Or you got out of range of whatever effect it was, that's that sort of thing. Yeah. Fourth edition had some similar things. Or it was, oh yeah, you uh, you get a minus two on all your rolls, so you're just going to, you're going to be bad. Yeah. And that's just frustrating. It's not very interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you want to hinder and affect the PCs, but you don't want to frustrate them. Yeah, and you don't want to do it flavorlessly either. Right. Because that same minus two penalty could come from shaky ground, fatigue, bad equipment. I mean, just static penalty numbers like that are kind of bland. It's real bad. We talked about this earlier. Fear is necessary for courage, right? If you're never portraying fear at the table, you're never going to portray someone facing down their fear, standing up to whatever it is that makes them afraid getting over that fear. It's been a while since I've quoted C.S. Lewis on the podcast, so let me go ahead and do that. Too long. Um, In the Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis described fear like this. Courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at its testing point, which means at the point of highest reality. It's not just, are you courageous? It's, are you doing this thing? Are you doing what you should do despite being afraid? And so, we, you know, with a a character who never feels fear is never really courageous. They're just, they're going through the motions. Somebody who is afraid and maybe has given into that fear and finally stands up to it and does what they should despite that fear, that's a courageous character. It's a courageous person. Well, and one of the, one of the most familiar courage enablers out there is the litany against fear from Dune, right? Sure. We talked about that on somebody our, um, who is yeah in one of our uh, virtues and vices episodes, actually. Yeah, somebody who is not experiencing any fear is never going to recite that. That is something where you say that when the fear is taking hold of you to help you manage it and get over it, right? And get past it, right? And one of the the sources of courage that we have, we the the real the real source of that courage is, you know, the faith that we have in God and the hope that we have in God when we're facing down something dangerous. Yep. And I think putting that into your characters, especially in a a game where you can play a Christian character, I think that's that's got all sorts of value. Yeah, we we talk a lot about using role-playing games as a a safe way of testing things that you or exploring things that you want to do in real life. Yeah. This definitely falls into that category. And I think it's also we generally don't recommend proselytizing in a role-playing game, right? It's something to have a conversation about over pizza after the game or, you know, on the drive home, something like that. You, we use the role-playing game 
environment to build those relationships that open up opportunities for talking to people about God and about Christ. But this is one of those situations where you can say, this is what hope means. This is what my faith in Christ means. It means I can, I can do these things without fear because I put my trust in something greater. And that's, that's often very powerful, and it's a good way to start that conversation. You know, even just putting it into a game, just acting it out, role-playing it out, puts it on the table to talk about in those situations where it is appropriate to talk about it, where it's time to talk about it. So... Was this something that your priest uh, character did in the several years long prologue campaign that you've talked about before? You know, it's been long enough that I'm not sure. I think he certainly... I, I think I certainly tried to put that in. Now... There was nothing we were afraid of in that game, because we were terrifyingly, frighteningly powerful. Most things were afraid of us, okay? Well, Ascension Mages are scary anyways. It's, yes. They're basically reality programmers. Uh, Ascension Mages with multiple five-point spheres are really scary, okay? We were absurdly overpowered. The, the named NPCs that are put in the werewolf splat, or like the white wolf splat books of, this is some horrifying, terrible, terrifying, powerful thing that players will never, ever win a fight against. We just beat those things up left and right. It was a kind of grotesque game in some ways, um, <laughs> because we were rolling absurd amounts of dice, and it was just, it was that kind of game. Hey, sometimes playing at that super elevated power level can be a huge amount of fun. You wouldn't want to do it all the time, but right. it can it be can fun. It can be fun. And the game was fun for a lot of other good reasons, right? I mean, this was a very good game. I learned a ton about gaming from it. That character, I'm not sure, ever had an opportunity to do this in particular. Yeah, fair enough. So be it. If he did, it was right at the very start when he kind of first showed up. I don't know. But it's I, I it's something that I think it's one of the few cases where I think it's okay to say, look, this is how it really is. This is how it really works. This is where that that courage comes from. This is what I put my trust in. And it's one of the points at which that faith and hope and in fact love, right? Those those three virtues really come into focus is in the face of something that makes us afraid. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I've got anything else to say about that particular thing, although there's one last little thing on the topic of fear that I want to hit before we close this sure. one out. Fear can kind of be destructive around the gaming table. Um, in fact, actually, this killed off one of the best campaigns that I've ever been in, which was your Shadowrun campaign, because at the end, we were handling it as a series of heists, and... You described a job that should have been something that we could have handled, and for some reason we got a little too scared maybe by the amount of money that the um, the Johnson was offering us for it or kind of the open layout of the facility, and we spent, what, five or six sessions in planning and never actually did anything? Yeah, you pretty much just turtled. Yeah, well, you froze up. Yeah, and that kind of killed the momentum for everybody involved. It did. Now, I don't think that was the only problem killing that game. But it was certainly, part of it was, there. you had a palpable sense that you could not do anything, and you could not move forward safely. Yeah, we felt like we were totally outclassed. Right. Now, you weren't, and I was doing my best to explain to you that you weren't, but I think the damage had already we, we been done. We were having a hard time believing you for some well, reason, no, it's I'm just, not sure why that I was. I can tell you, oh no, it's fine, as much as I want, but it's not going to overcome that first impression you've got. Yeah. You know, in your mind, oh, this is real dangerous. This is terrible. And you guys also didn't want to say, all right, we've taken the retainer. We've determined we can't do it. We're just going to call it. You know, at no point did you yeah. guys say, we're going to walk away. Give us another job. So, which is something that's always on the table, but for whatever reason, was never an option in our games. I think. Our group was a little too honorable, I think. Even, yeah, but also, I think even if you guys had just returned the money, you know, like, oh, sorry, we can't do it, you know, return that retainer. Yeah. I don't think it, I don't think it ever crossed your mind. So it, there were a number of problems no. with that Shadowrun game at the end. But yeah, it, you're Still right. That was a case where, 
<laughs> the players kind of got worried about what was happening and, you know, went into vapor lock. So what can be done about that? I mean, in retrospect, because I'm sitting here kind of racking my brain about how do we get around that? And I'm coming up a little dry. I don't know, honestly. And I, it, the thing is, this is a real problem in gaming, right? It is. In, in this case, this is this was the players getting being afraid, not role, a role-playing problem with fear, right? We're kind of right. talking about something different here. I think at that point, being honest about it and having some sort of out is important. Yeah. You know, like saying, hey, we're, we're just going to back off and not do it. Or honestly, just saying, at some point, somebody has I to say... I don't think we're up to this. Or yeah. at some point, somebody has to say, hey, do you promise that we're not going to, you know, be in way over our heads? Do you promise this is actually roughly equivalent to, you know, a, a roughly equivalent challenge to what we're looking at? And trusting the GM to, you know, when he says, yes, it's fine. And, you know, I think that was probably the problem there is nobody ever actually initiated that conversation. We were all trying to hint at it in different ways and dancing around it, but we never actually just came out and were like, okay, look. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of, oh, this place is really terrifying. You know, Grant, this place is, you know, really locked down. And I kept saying, it's it's not. It's fine. Don't worry, guys. But at no point did it come out to the forefront where you were just like, is it okay if we do the job? Is the story going to continue? And to which I could say, yes, if you hit go, it's not going to come to a, a halt midway through. Because, yeah. you know, and, and I had other things going on. Honestly, that whole thing was a setup for Chrissy's character to interact with an NPC from her background. Oh, yeah. really? <laughs> yeah. Her, her friend from the, the corp was working there or was in the, the catering company, I think. Or no, no. She was one of the. What was it? She was basically kind of a a guest of one of the people bidding on stuff in this auction house, right? Kind of the, I'm going to say arm candy, you know, but she wasn't really right. an escort. It was just, oh, no, I'm dating this, you know, high-powered corporate exact guy type, who's yeah. involved in this bid. But she's there. She's kind of on the other side of things, but she's conflicted. Maybe Chrissy's character can pull on some strings and get her to do some favors or get information, right? If nothing else, hey, she's there and is there to interact with because this was her best friend from, you know, from high school, basically. So that that was really the whole point of the setup was, hey, suddenly there's maybe a friend? Yeah, some social stuff, yeah. huh? And yeah, you know, it's dangerous, but wait, now there's this opportunity but we have to work at it. Huh. So that that's really kind of what was going to happen there. And I we'd gotten to the point where it was, oh, hey, here she is. And then the game shut down and we never did anything. Yeah, that makes me want to start things up again. Well, I've been thinking about that anyway. But I've also had Rogue Trader on the brain lately, so. You've had Rogue Trader on the brain since we started I've known the podcast, you. yes. We really should let you scratch that itch at some point. We really, we really should, should. But you know what? Our GM promises that Werewolf's going to pick back up, and I'm excited to get Werewolf going, so. Yeah, that's been that's been a lot of fun too. Yeah, so. I, I am certainly not gonna say, hey, you know that werewolf game that we're finally getting traction on again? Let's throw that overboard. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> that's not an option that's on exactly. the table. All right, I think that's enough from us. This has probably been a little bit rambly, and I apologize. I'm very sleep deprived, and yeah. ugh, I'm I'm kind of out of it. I'm a little loopy, and I apologize. We're still way more structured than some podcasts I listen to. So. I know, but I still feel bad about it. I will say, if you liked the show... Hey, hey, Grant, yeah. we've been on podcasts that had no outline. I still get cold sweats when I think about right, that, right, okay? Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> anyway, if you do like the show, rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, RPGpodcasts.com, anywhere else that fine podcast ratings and reviews are given away. That metaphor failed. Oh, well. Anyway do that uh share us on social media that helps us a lot and of course if you have any questions for us or want to reach us in any way you can hit us up at hosts at stgcast.org set us up on the website social media any way that you want yep we love feedback and we'd love to do another mailbag episode that's someday, right and so. if you have any advice on handling fear for characters definitely send us that or put it in the comments on the show uh on social media wherever you want because we'd love to hear it yep and from all of us here at Saving the Game, have a good one, and we'll catch you next time. 
See you later, folks. This podcast episode is a production of Saving the Game and may be redistributed under a Creative Commons, non-commercial, non-derivative license, so long as appropriate credit is given. Our music is by Ryan Humphrey. Saving the Game is syndicated through inroadsministries.com, rpgpodcasts.com, stitcher.com, and iTunes. To hear past episodes and to connect with us or our community of listeners, visit our website at savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, and happy gaming.